Revelation chapter 1. That's where we're going to start tonight. <clears throat> like Brian said, uh, Brian did the first three verses. Uh, he touched on all the views and just the stuff that sometimes doesn't really capture the essence of what we're going to study. Why? Because this book, it's, you know, we, they talk about the Antichrist and we talk about God's judgment. We talk about earthquakes and wars and rumors of wars and the mystery of Babylon. And you have all this stuff that's like sometimes just magnified, right, by certain scholars, by certain people, like certain um, even uh, denominations. But the fact is, is that this book, it exemplifies one thing and it, it magnifies only one thing and that's the fact that Jesus is coming back that's the it it captures everything that Jesus is it captures everything that Jesus was and it, and everything that Jesus is going to be so we must always keep that in mind that this book although sometimes it's trippy and it they add all these things to it these visions these you know the woman and the beast and you have these you know just gnarly pictures right but the fact is is that we must always keep focused on the fact that this book is about Jesus and why why is this book you know so so like magnifying him because the fact is that he wants to see us you know it's not just oh, okay this book is just about Jesus and this is Jesus who he is this is what he's wearing this is what you know he is about this is what he's going to do he's gonna do all this stuff because he wants to see us he wants to be married to his bride and just like we talked about last time that once these events get going once the ball starts rolling it's like boom 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 just quick quick status it's not like it lags on you know and excuse me we're already starting to see this unfold right and to tell you the truth it's like a picture of a marriage it is it's it, it not only it's you know we know that he's going to come back to and we're going to be married and he's seen as the, uh, the bridegroom and we're the bride but we that you know this we have been married you know we have four couples here or my wife isn't here right now, but when it starts to happen, it's like you start planning and planning and planning and planning, right? And all of a sudden, it's like two weeks beforehand, and all of a sudden, it's like boom, 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 boom. All this drama happens. This drama stuff starts, you start throwing stuff. It just gets crazy, you know, and the thing is, is that what is it all about? It's about the marriage day right it's about that day and that's what we have to focus on is that day and being ready for that day cuz the thing is is that sometimes we don't feel like we're ready for that day we don't want Jesus to come back why because either we're in sin we're slipping away we're doing stuff we shouldn't be doing and we're just like lord just please you you come i always had a friend you know he's he was a Christian, and he knew the, the signs and stuff. 
and when he would like come home late from drinking and partying and he would see the moon and it was all red you know sometimes it's red he's like oh the blood's turning like uh, the the moon's turning like blood jesus is coming back i'm done you know cuz he knew he knew that that was one of the signs so these signs you know like it's good it's good for us to study these signs it's good for us to study doctrines of the bible it's good for us to study you know what uh like you know hermeneutics and all this other stuff it's good to do that stuff why because it points to jesus right but you know the thing is is if we don't know jesus you know all that other stuff just doesn't matter you know so that's what our goal is for this entire however long it takes me and brian to go through this we're not in a rush you know it's going to be awesome and you know it's just going to be good so let's uh let's pray first and then we'll we'll get into it lord we just thank you so much god that you are lord and there is no end to you there is no beginning to you father you just are you you are who you are and you are who you say you are and all the promises that you've given us, Lord, are yes and amen in you. And we know that your word never fails. Lord, we know that your love casts out all fear. So, Lord, we just pray that tonight we don't have a spirit of fear. But, Lord, that we would just know you, that we would love you, Lord, that we would fall deeper in love with you, God. And that we would just be able to magnify, have complete clarity of who you are that we may know the bridegroom that's to come for us. Lord, that's our goal tonight. So we just pray, Lord, that you'd author my lips and just all these words and all this stuff, these notes, Lord, just let it be from you, Lord. We love you and just thank you and commit this night to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Spurgeon, continuing and saying, uh, talking about that, uh, the stuff that we were talking about, just all the, the things that happened. And he says, the great fault, of many professors is that Christ is to them a character upon paper, certainly more than a myth, but yet a person of the dim past, a historical person who lived many years ago and did most admirable deeds, by the which we are saved, but who is far from being, being a living, present, bright reality. May this never be for any of us. They see this, they see Jesus as just a character. They see him as, they would see us, us Christians, as a vessel, a vessel like, you know, the Muslims, they call him a prophet. He's just a character in their book. You know, we see the Old Testament, you know, and I'm going through Genesis and, you know, we have, you know, Abram and Abram begot this person, this person begot this person. You have all these characters, right? And all these crazy names and they all mean something, Right. They see Jesus as just a character, in a, like in a play, like in, you know, a storyline, like in a movie. You see him as just a character, you know, and that's where professors have erred, you know, even at, at Christian schools, you know. And it's like, man, if we would just focus on whom Jesus is. And tonight we're going to look at what he looks like. Like, literally, the stuff he's wearing, you know, but we're, we're also going to focus in on just who he is to us 
and what he, what we are to him, you know, because it's not just a one-way deal, us that are married. It's not just, oh, the husband loves a wife. No, it's like you have two different vows when you get married, right? But his vow to us is super faithful, correct? To us, to him, uh, we kind of tend to stutter a little bit when it comes down to saying some, you know, our, our quote-unquote vows when we get saved and stuff like that, you know? So let's go ahead and start. Verse, verse 4, we see that um, John, uh, let's read it. Verse 4, it says, John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is, who was, and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler over the kings of the earth, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. And we'll stop there. We see that John is talking to this Roman province in Asia, which is... Um, today the western part of modern day Turkey right and we see that he, you know he's speaking to these churches and um, why these churches we don't know why did he name these specific churches we don't know we know there's seven of them and we're going to talk a little bit about that later the cool thing is how he names them off they go in a circle okay so just a little side note, just for you guys to like symmetry. I don't know. I like symmetry. I like shapes. I like, you know, numbers. I like that stuff. But it, he mentions them in a circle, right? And um, and we'll get to that later. But he starts he starts to say that uh, he says grace to you to those churches and peace from Him, who is, who was, and is to come. We know that as God, right? That's who He is. And we see that. There's a separation that says, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, right? He recognizes the seven spirits as one entity, right? It's separate from God, right? And then he says, and from Jesus Christ, and then he describes who Jesus Christ is. So there, in the first four verses, well, in the first verse that we're covering, in verse four, we already have the triune nature of God. Okay, we, so we've already, that, that's one of the doctrines that, you know, in the Brie and Barbecue we're going to go over, but it's already there. So there we have three separate entities, and we're going to go over what those spirits are in just a second. But we must focus on this thing that says he is who was, who is, and who is to come. Logically speaking, there is no beginning and there is no end to this person, right? Because he was, he is, and he's going to come. He's from the beginning to the end, and we get that in the Alpha and Omega statement, correct? So we see that this is the nature of who God is. There is no beginning and there is no end to who God is, right? He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So we see that John, you know, he says grace and peace to them. And now we get to the part that the, the, three, the, the seven spirits, okay, what are those seven spirits? Right. It's a trip. Why would he say, OK, we all know, you know, we me and Brian, we sing this song during uh, the kids, you know, five year olds. We are one in the spirit, you know, in the spirit. It's not plural. Right. But let's turn to Isaiah. Chapter 11, if you guys want to turn, that's fine. I'll just read it. Um, and he says, 
There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. His delight is in the fear of the Lord, and he shall not judge by the sight of his eyes, nor decide by the hearing of his ears, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor, and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall slay the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his loins, and faithfulness the belt of his waist. So we see that those are set, if you count them, it's seven spirits, seven types, right? Seven characteristics of the spirit. It's one spirit, but there's seven characteristics thereof. So some people will trip out and they might say, oh, it might be this, it might be that. I don't know about you, but when the dove came down upon Jesus, it was a spirit that rested upon him. And that was his stamp of approval, right? When, when John said, behold, the Lamb of God who comes to take away all the sins of the earth, right? There was a spirit that descended upon Jesus. And back in Isaiah 11 that we just read, that rod from the stem of Jesse is talking about Jesus, right? And we see that the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. And that's the spirit that we're talking about. And notice how it goes, the spirit of wisdom, understanding, counsel, might, knowledge, and the fear of the Lord. We know that Jesus fears God the most, right? He feared God. He even went to God to seek counsel from God when he was in the garden, right? So we have that to, to just to clarify. We're, we're going to do a lot of clarifying in, in Revelation. You know, we want to set things straight. We want to make sure the gospel and the foundation is right because we can't build on a, you know, jacked up foundation. We can't do that. You know, we can't build on sand. We can't build on wood, hay, and stubble. We have to lay the foundation on Jesus, and that's who, what we're going to do. So we're going to be doing a lot of clarif clarifying, so bear with us. <laughs> and so we see that from there, we see that these spirits are before his throne, right? The spirits are before the throne, and the throne, who is enthroned but Jesus Christ, right? We know that he is on the throne right now, on the right hand of the Father, and we know that it's a good thing that he's there now because he's just waiting. It's like his, it's like his, it's like his step, stepping stone, right? It's just he has to go there to come back. One, one scholar said um, it's good that, that when Jesus said, it's good that I go because if I, don't, if I don't go, then I can't come back to you. Imagine if you would have just stayed here the whole time. He could have. He could have chosen to do that. But no, he chose to go to give us the promise of the Holy Spirit that we may live a Christian life and then that he may come back for us and be married unto us, right? So we have that, and then we see that he is the faithful witness, right? We know that the, uh, he was the one and only witness of God the Father who stayed faithful until death. Right then, we see that he's the firstborn from the from the dead. Speaking of the resurrection, 
you know, Romans 8.29, it says, uh, For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, talking about us, the church, that he might be firstborn among many brethren. Right? We know that we also are going to be caught up. We also are going to be resurrected. But he's the first to do so. And we also see that he's a ruler over the kings of this earth. Right? Proverbs 21.1 says, The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. As the rivers of water, he turneth it whithsoever he will. Right? He, uh, you know, kingdoms get built up. Kingdoms get torn down. But Jesus is the one who is over every kingdom. Over every, um, you know, even the communist kingdom. He is overseeing all those people. No matter what, no matter what they are, it doesn't say here only the Republican kings he's over. It doesn't say only the Democratic kings he's over. He's over all the kings of the earth, right? So we see that the the last part of it says the fact that he loved us and washed us from our sin. The very thing that he came to do was to wash us from our sin is to love us. He loved us, and then He washed us from our sins. First, He loved us, though. Okay? The very thing which Christianity... We we can't call ourselves Christians if we don't know that Jesus loves us and that Jesus washed us from our sins. Okay? So, does the thing is, now we have to, we have to clarify is, how do we know that we've been washed? How do we know that Jesus had authority on earth to do so. Mark chapter 2. Turn with me there. Probably my favorite gospel story in the entire, in all four gospels was this paralytic man. And it says, and again he entered Capernaum after some days, talking about Jesus, and it was heard that he was in the house. Immediately many gathered together so that there was no longer room to receive them. Not even near the door. And he preached the word to them. Then they came to him, bringing a paralytic who was carried by four men. And when they could not come near him because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof where he was. So when they had broken through, they let down the bed on which the paralytic was lying. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven you. And some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, Why does this man speak blasphemies like this? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they reasoned thus within themselves, he said to them, Why do you reason about these things in, in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven you, or to say, Arise, take up your bed and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. Immediately he arose, took up the bed, and went out in the presence of them all, so that all were amazed and glorified, saying, we never saw anything like this. This right here is the full gospel. You have people Four people that bring this paralytic. Somebody that couldn't get to Jesus. We have these four people bring this person. Do whatever it takes. They ripped off the roof. They tore the roof off to get this man down to Jesus. Right? 
But you would think that Jesus would first heal him, right? He was paralyzed. You know, he never walked before. He could never get anywhere. He always had to ask somebody. It's like asking for a ride here in Orange County. You know, would you have you guys ever asked for a ride? Like, I mean, seriously, do we do that on a day-to-day basis? No. This guy, if he needed to go to the bathroom, he needed to be carried there. You know, so we have this guy who can't get anywhere without somebody's help. And we have these four guys that bring him to Jesus. And Jesus looks at him and says, your sins are forgiven. What did the guy do? He's like, I didn't come to get my sins forgiven. You know, he, he wasn't thinking that. He wanted to be healed. And he was probably among the Pharisees thinking, dude, you can't forgive my sins. Only God can forgive my sins. But what did Jesus do? He, he hit the two birds with one stone right then and there. It was just, I love, I wish I could teach this on a Sunday morning or, you know, Saturday night. But this, like, I've taught it here before last, last time when we were doing Mark. And it was just, I, this is like my nugget. Like, this is the one that I have, you know, that we keep in my, and I keep it in my back pocket. And I, every time I need to talk to somebody about the gospel, that's where I go to. Because this man had no way of getting to Jesus, you know. This man had no hope of even walking. And he gets his sins forgiven and he walks. Dude, that's bonus, you know. But, you know, the, now, now steering away from that, we have, continuing in verse 6 of, of Revelation, it says that, And he has made us kings and priests to his God and Father, and to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. This is the, the, the sealer, the deal sealer. Because we read that, you know, all this stuff that's happened, you know, Jesus is the faithful witness. Jesus is the firstborn from the dead. You know, he's a ruler over the kings of this earth. And he's explaining himself, what, John's explaining what, what, what Jesus is. But now it's like, what do we do with it? We have all this knowledge, and what do we do with it? The last part of that verse, And to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Not only does this book change our lives, not only does it magnify who Jesus is, not only uh, do we get a grasp of what's to come, but this book is the the very the the very thing that this book needs to bring is for us to be able to give him praise for us to be able to glorify him for us to give him adoration that's what this book is about because worthy is the lamb that was slain right holy 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 right we, the angels are singing it the one song that they're singing in the book of revelation is holy 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 is the lord god almighty you know, worthy is, they're yelling, worthy is the lamb that was slain. It's like, man, what other song is there in heaven? There isn't. We're just going to be on our face. We can't even say anything. We're going to be in awe and complete, utter awe of all the things that are going on because we're not going to believe it. And all we could say is, Lord, you are so worthy. You, I need to, I wish that I could have given you the praise that, you're, that you were worth when I was in, on the earth. You know, that's the question that we need to ask ourselves. Do we give him 
what he is what he is worth all that that we have the praise that he is worth the adoration that he is worth do we even acknowledge even a smidge of it right it says that uh that one of the commentators said every believer should be secure in god's love not based on their present circumstances which may be difficult but based on the ultimate demonstration of love at the cross this is worth praising Jesus about. Right? And we have that. We acknowledge that. Right? But the thing is, it's not only believing. Right? What, what did Jesus say? He's like, yeah. The, so what? The demons believe. You know? What? It's not just about, you know, I, I always have these thoughts. And I'm like, like, you know, just crazy, weird thoughts. And I'm like, dude, I can't just, like, only believe. You know, because I believe that this earth is round. That's it. I don't do anything with it. You know, I'm not like, oh, let's, you know, I don't know. What would you do? <laughs> Tie a string around or something? I don't know. What would you do just by knowing that the earth is round, right? But we need to respond to the fact that we know that Jesus is Christ. We need to act right we need to partake we need to commune with him and we need to press on these are the things that we just believing is just you know it's half the battle as gi joe would say you know it, it you know like <laughs> not in those words but you know he said and what did he say and something and what's that and knowing, and knowing is half the battle right you know it's just it's just half the battle the thing is, is winning the war, winning, running the race to the finish, right? And that's where we need to, we need to act. Like they, like in the Old Testament, they told, they were told to occupy, right? And to share with one another, just the goodness of the Lord, the fullness of the Lord. And the thing is, is like, when we don't do this, it's because we're making the gospel about us. What we're doing is, we're taking the gospel and we're like, yeah, you know, Jesus is cool, but I have all these issues. You know, I don't believe in this. I don't believe in that. You know, and the, it's all about me. You know, when we make the gospel about us, we put the validity of the gospel at stake. We make the gospel depend on our actions, on our circumstances, on our health. We make it depend on that. But it's not about us. The gospel is not about, it's the good news of Jesus Christ. Right? So we need to not make it depend on our abilities. Like me, I don't have abilities. I don't have skills. I just, I just want to be a servant of the Lord. I want to serve him in every way possible. The first thing when I first got saved, Joey said, just be available. The one thing I ever heard from a pastor was just be available and watch the Lord just use you in a mighty way. And that's it. I made myself available. I found out when they were helping with setup. I found out when they were helping with teardown. And I was there. I'm like, dude, I'm available right here. I, I can help you. What do you need? You know, they saw a huge Mexican guy. They just put him with the heaviest thing. And it was it was good. I was stoked. I was like, dude, I've never thought in my entire life at age 23 that I would be serving Jesus. I was bartending at night, serving Jesus in the morning. 
Next thing you know, I'm convicted, serving Jesus all day long. You know, that's just what happened. You know, and the thing is, despite our drama, despite all the stuff, just the eh, the, the things that we can't describe, the, you know, with our families, our unsaved friends, our work situation, despite all that, like, like uh, Job said, you know, he said, he said, though he slay me, yet I will praise him. You know, um, this weekend, last weekend was my uh, my birthday, Sunday. And um, my mom invited all these people to come. And I didn't know. I was just stoked about watching the Super Bowl. My Steelers were playing. I was stoked. They were going to win. I wish it would have been by more, but they didn't. Right? Uh, grace was poured on on Warner because he is a Christian. It's, it's cool, you know. But the thing is, is I was there and I was like focusing the game and everybody's coming up to me. It's just like, hey, how's it going? I was like, oh, cool. Everything's going good. Okay, cool. That's it. Go grab some food. Nobody knew that it was my birthday. Nobody knew. Nobody came up to me except for my aunt. She comes. She's like, oh, happy birthday. She's like, everybody's like, all of a sudden, whose birthday is it? And it's like, dude, you guys are coming to somebody's house to eat food. And, and chill out, watch the game, and you don't even know why? All of a sudden, people start busting out their checkbooks, and they're like, oh, what's his name again? You know, it's like, <laughs> dude, I'm like, uh, I'm watching the game, you know? And I was like, I seriously was like tripping out. And I was like, Lord, why am I here? And then my aunt, uh, she lived in Sinaloa, which is one of the biggest um, drug uh, capitals of Mexico. There's a couple cartels, and one of them is the one from from Culiacan. And um, two of her sons were murdered. Uh, one, you know, she she tends to kind of hide it and say, no, he didn't really. But you know, they killed a couple people that they shouldn't have killed. And um, you know, like when I saw her, she comes up to me. She's like, I was like, how are you doing in Spanish? You know, she's like, you know, just taking the hits, just taking them. You know, I know God is faithful. And I'm like, dude, what? Like she's, and I've been wanting to share the gospel with her. And I, she goes to church a lot. And she's like, you know what? I know, I know Jesucristo is faithful. I know he's, she's just praising the Lord. She just lost two of her sons. Her her husband died of cancer. Like, this all happened, like, five years ago, three years ago, and last year. Like, boom, boom, boom. You know what I mean? And it was just like, oh, my God. And then she started talking about Job. And I'm like, you can relate. You know? And it's like, dude, despite all her drama, she still managed to bow her knee. And to give him the praise that he is worth. And that's what the message that this book is going to start. We're going to start seeing. We're going to start seeing pictures of the angels and pictures of the elders and uh, of them giving the praise. And that's all we're going to do. You know, and uh, I think Spurgeon was saying that uh, if we don't know how to sing it here, how are we going to sing it over there? If we, if we can't do it here, how are we going to do it over there? Might as well practice, right? You know, we got okay voices. Some got guitar skills. Some can play percussion. But the thing is, is 
I don't know if there's instruments in heaven, but it's going to be pretty loud. You know, just the singing part of it. So, you know, take it for what it's worth. So the thing is now we, we all know the foundation has been laid. We all know that he's washed us from our sins. We know he's a faithful witness. We know that he's the firstborn from the dead. The most proven fact in world history that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Right? Positive evidence from a hostile source. It wasn't a Christian source that said it. It was a secular source. So now let's get into verse 7 through 8. Behold, he is coming with clouds, and every eye will see him, even they who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is and who was and is to come. Behold, Jesus in Matthew 24 said, watch. Same term, same terminology, watch. Not just look, he said, watch. He said, be attentive. He said, look after these things. Behold, he is coming with clouds. Why clouds? Book of Exodus, there's a couple examples. Chapter, tw- chapter 13, 22 and 21 through 22. Chapter 16, verse 10. 19, verse 9. 24, verse 15 through 18. We see that the clouds were the ushering in of the glory of the Lord. In the center, when Moses went in, he first had to pass through the clouds to the glory of the Lord, and he couldn't even see it. So we see these clouds. We see Jesus coming down with clouds. A little side note, in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, we are surrounded by a greater cloud of witnesses. Right? Thinking ahead of time, this is talking about his second coming. We are his glory. He glorifies in seeing us. He is glorified in when we do right. He, he is glorified when we live up to the things that he has for us. He is glorified when we serve him. He is glorified when we worship him. He is glorified even when, he, when we mess up. Because even though our circumstances are messed up, even though we sin, even though we fall away, we fall short. Everyone has fallen short, Right? He is still on the throne. And he still deserves what, you know, he's still worthy. doesn't make him less. It doesn't take, you know, it doesn't dim in the light. It dimmins the light in the world's point of view because, you know, we're messing up and we're giving uh, a false representation of who Jesus is, but it doesn't change his nature. So we got, we got to look. We got to make sure again. There's two different things. There's the rapture of the church, which we'll get to, and there's also a second coming. Just so we know, those are two separate events, both glorious and both promises of the Lord. You know, I kind of touched it on a little bit. I just want to make sure that we all are on the same page. So we, just so we all, we we seek for this day for Him to come when He comes down. You know, it's like. There's one when he comes down and he meets us halfway, right? And he meets us halfway and then we're raptured with him. And then there's another time when he comes and it's like we come with him, you know? So, like I said, two different things. And we see that some, right, it says that every eye will see him, even they who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Even so, amen. Right. 
even those whom pierced him. What is that reference to? Let's turn to Zechariah chapter 12. And I highlighted such a good little nugget. It says, uh, And I will pour on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication. Then they will look on me whom they pierced. Right? Notice that it first said that it is going to pour the spirit. I will, and I will pour on the house of David on the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And they will look on me whom they pierced. Yes, they will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son, and grieve for him as one grieves for a firstborn. In that day there will, shall be a great mourning in Jerusalem, like the mourning at Hadadrimon in the, in the plain of Megiddo. So, with that said, we can say that the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the house of David, you know, where that is only Jews, that's, it could be said that, you know, but it says the inhabitants of Jerusalem. There's a lot of Christians in Jerusalem, you know. So the, we don't know exactly what that could refer to. The fact is it doesn't change the fact of who Jesus is and who's going to mourn, you know. It doesn't matter who's going to mourn. You know, the fact is they are going to mourn, and they're going to look at him who was pierced, you know. And the thing is is that all the other tribes of the earth shall mourn because of him also, so we not only see them, but we see all the other people, and they will look upon the wounds and see the scars, and they're going to see that, you know, they're going to weep. It's going to, it's going to be, it's not going to be good, you know. It's, it's crying. It's, it's, it's like a, a convulsing, you know. It's not just a, um, oh, sick, you know, cry. No, it's going to be bad, you know. And, and this is why we're here, you know. We are here to lessen the amount of people that will mourn. Because we won't be mourning, correct? We will be rejoicing, right? So we need to take some, we need to, we need to go and draft people from the mourners and bring them over to the rejoicers. And, uh, you know, I heard this story about this guy who wouldn't say a word in church. There's only about 20 people in the congregation. And this one time he just stood up and he said, Populate heaven and plunder hell. That's all he said. That's all he said. Those four words. You know, and it reminded me of this. You know, it's just like, dude, yeah, that's pretty much it. Let's take away from the people that will be cast out to outer darkness. Let's take away from the people that will be completely separated from God. Let's let's pray for those people and see how the Lord would like to bring them into. Because the Lord's willing he said he's willing that none shall perish, right? So we get to the, the bottom part of it. It says, uh, through, through him, uh, it says, he says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord, who was and who is and is to come. Again, that statement, there is no beginning to him and there is no end to him. He was and he is and he is to come. He is the, the same today, yesterday, and forever. So now we get into uh, verses 9 through 16. It says, I, John, both your brother and companion in the tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was on the island of Pat, uh, that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ 
I was in the spirit on the day on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet, saying, I am the Alpha, the Omega, the first and the last. And what you see, write in a book and send it to the seven churches which are in Asia, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamos, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that spoke to me, and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the feet and girded about the chest with a golden band. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes like a flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace, and his voice as a sound of many waters. So now that we know who's worthy to be praised, now that we know who died for us, now that we know, like, we see, we see something that was veiled. We don't know what he looked like. We see pictures of Jesus, you know, and, you know, he's got his hands up and his, like, the sacred heart. It's like, whoo, like that. It's all, like, you know, got the beams behind it and his face looks, you know, no acne. His beard is perfect. He's got long, you know, brown hair. You know, some like to paint pictures of Jesus and he's black. Some like to paint pictures and he's white. You know, I haven't seen a Mexican Jesus yet. You know, I have a cousin that's named Jesus, but that's it, you know. Um, but here we get the picture of who, what he's going to look like. And dude, it's gnarly. Like, we don't, we can't picture the, you know, I've seen drawings. I, like, Googled it. I was like, man, I wonder if, I, if there's anybody that tried, like, to give it some kind of, you know, like, to do it service. Nah, dude. It is like, some we had sketches, and the sword was, like, coming out of, like, his chest. And, you know, it was just, he had these stars in his hand. But, man, like, imagine how tall he is. Imagine how, like, humongous he must be. Just to, just to think about it. Like, he's not just, like, seven foot tall or eight foot tall. We don't, you know, like, we can't, but this is, we can't grasp that. This is what he looks like, right? So the thing is, is that we know that he saved us. We know that he loves us. Now we know what, he, what he's going to look like, because we haven't seen him before, right? But we are going to see him again. This is what he's going to look like. So now, do we get it? We're starting to get a, a, a more focused view on who Jesus is. But we must not forget that not only do, are, we gonna, are we looking unto him as the author and finisher of our faith, we're looking into him for the marriage day, right? We're looking into him. It's like, dude, you know, like when me and my wife got married, I'm like, dude, almost there. Like it's, dude, I, I couldn't even, I couldn't even sit next to her. Cause I was just like, dude, this is like, I, I, you know, I need to get married now. Like I, I, I love her. I want, I want to be joined to her, you know, and it, we see it and it's like, it's not just about sex. It's just about the intimacy that we have. You know, people were like, oh, he's just marrying her because so they can have sex. As you know, they're Christians, you know, now. And that's what people, Christians do. They get married so that they can have sex. No, it's not about that. People, it's more than that. You know, it's like that's one thing. And everybody says, oh, yeah, you know, on the first day, you know, the day you get married, you have sex. And that's like the first time you do it. And whatever. The thing is, it's a picture of us being joined to Jesus. And it's a marriage, 
right? It's the marriage supper. And what's in a marriage? Yes, there's sex in a marriage. But with the Lord, it's not a, a physical sex, right? It's a joining of oneself to another, how it should be in a marriage. It's, the marriage is not all about sex. Though it could be, it's not, right? We are joined to one another, and one submits to one another, vice versa you know here us now we submit i submit to my wife my wife submits to me you know and in the end you know i have authority because that's what god's given me but in the end i have to know what's right for both of us and jesus knows what's right for us he knows what's right for his church and him when they get together there is purity in the relationship the relations that God has with this church, it's all pure. With us in our marriages, when we, when we do the business, it's pure. It's not about, you know, adding these things and taking away and doing all this stuff that, that has nothing to do with Jesus. When we, th- when we think about marriage, we must always think about the example that Jesus is setting for him and his church. Always. That should be the standard of our marriage with our wives, with the wives to their husbands. That should be it. You know, and the thing is, it's a beautiful picture. It's pure. It's holy. And it's a good thing. Right? So what we see here from, from there, we, we start to know who he is. We start to know what he looks like. We see him from afar and we're like, yeah. Yeah, not in a weird way. That's our husband. That's that's who I want to get married to. The church, him, perfect love, point blank. That's what it is, right? So we start seeing him. We see, uh, backing up a little bit, we see that John was in Patmos. He was on an island. It was like it was like the Alcatraz of the Roman province, uh, you know, in um, uh, yeah, in the, the Roman Empire. I'm sorry. It was ten miles long, six miles wide. And it, it functioned as a prison. So it was pretty much Alcatraz, but a little bit bigger. And um, there was a lot of marble there. So all the people that got taken over there were pretty much slaves. Sorry, just a bit. But it was like pretty much slaves. And um, they would work in these quarries that, of, of marble. And here you have John, and he's not young, but he's there. And he's working. And uh, Eusebius, one of the historians, says that he was a worker there, you know, and um, he says that he was there for a while. And the thing is, is that John must have been doing something right there. Because God's not just going to entrust the last book of the Bible to somebody who's not living it. God's not going to give a vision this great to somebody that's not living right, you know. And here John is, just like Paul and Peter in prison. And we see that he he's living he's living the dream. He's living the life that Jesus has for him. He's being a witness to all those people. He's not complaining, you know. He's not doing all that stuff. Because he was, why would God entrust him, the last book of the Bible, if he's complaining with the situation that God has put him in? Right? Why would you do that? Maybe it's grace, but dude, I think that he was just he was preaching the gospel to every prisoner there. And we see that uh John is there on the Lord's day most likely it's the Sabbath 
And he was in the Spirit. He was full of the Spirit. He was walking in the Spirit. Have you guys ever had some of those days where the only thing that comes out of your mouth is like worship music or uh, Bible scripture? Today was one of those days for me. Because even coming over here, like I almost cried like five times in the car. You know, like throughout the entire this morning, uh, like I was like, oh, gosh, save me. I need to be saved. What are the words that I need to say to be saved? You know, it's like I was just in the spirit. I, I, I needed, I was like, Lord, I've never taught. I'm on record. I'm being recorded. Lord, help me. Ah, you know, like I'll, you know, um, sitting in the bathtub going like rocking back and forth. And just, dude, I'm like, Lord, I need you now. It's not about me. Take this away from me, you know? And I was nauseous and it was just drama. And I'm like, oh, dude, this is going to be good tonight. And, and so, you know, we're, uh, you know, besides all that, you know, like God still gives me, gave us study tonight and we're, we're, we're learning from it and it's good. And we see that, that, that today was one of those days for me particularly, but I know you guys have had those days and it's a good thing. And it just reminds, it's really refreshing. It's really refreshing. And think about it when, when John received this, this is a whole different level, guys. This wasn't just a letter, an epistle. It wasn't just the, you know, the, the, the history of the gospel. The gospels, you know, just events written down. This is the real deal. This is like the end. It's like the things that must be. You know, it's like there's no language that this book has put out that another book can be related to. You know, you have all these other authors, Shakespeare, and you have all this other stuff. It doesn't touch this book. It has nothing on this book. This language is foreign to all the stuff that um, writers of, you know, the old and of new can put together. You know, so it's, he had to have been doing something right. And, you know, we see, like, just these, the, the things that Jesus says. He just even starts to say, all he said is like three sentences so far. He said, I am the Alpha and the Omega who wasn't is to come. He said that twice. And now he's just saying, write these things to these churches, right? And now, you know, now that we know, he, he looks and he sees, and he sees first the seven golden lampstands, right? And then from there, he just, all of a sudden, it's like, focus on Jesus, you know? And we see, and he just begins to describe who he is. But... One thing is, why these seven churches? You know, and we talked about it a little bit. And this is where it gets kind of trippy. This is where all the views start to un un unfold. We have the preterist view. We have the historical view, you know, the allegorical view. We have all these views. And some put the churches as, oh, it's just uh, a uh, picture of what the, churches was, the church was in that day, in John's day. And they're only related to those churches, right? We are the church of Orange County. So does this book apply to us? Well, because it's written for these seven churches, right? Do we gain anything from this book? Rhetorical question. This book says in the beginning that he who reads will be blessed. There's no race. There's no... See, that's where it gets all, like, just weird. It gets drama. It gets just 
dumb, like over analytical, you know, and the thing is, is that let's 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 back up a little bit and say, okay, this book is only related to those seven churches. Right. Let's say that statement is true. Now, let's look at the New Testament. The four Gospels are are said to everybody, correct? The book of Acts is kind of on a, a broad perspective history, right? But then we have all the epistles and the letters to the Corinthians, to Thessalonica, and then we have, you know, we Ephesus, you know, Galatia, Galatia Colossae. Would those letters that have so much spiritual value for a Christian in this age, would those letters be for us to deny, to neglect, because those are only to those churches? To say one thing, to say the fact that this book is only for those seven churches, is to, is to you have to take that view and put it onto the entire book of the Bible. You can't just say that this book is exclusive. You can't do that. So there we just ruled out one of the views, right? This book has so much spiritual value for ourselves. We not only are we learning about whom Jesus is, we know what he looks like, we know what he's going to do, and the fact that he loves us and he's washed us from our sins and he's coming back again to be married to his wife. That's truth. That's, that's it. That's what it's about. So since this book carries that, these promises are for us, right? So here we see, now going forward, we see the seven lampstands. And what do they mean? The seven lampstands uh, re represent the seven churches. And in the midst of the lampstands was Jesus, right? And we see him as a center, you know. Now, now that we ruled out one of the views, another view is that these, rep these churches represent the church age. You know, like at one point or another, We've been in the church of Laodicea, which I would like to think it's today because there's some churches out there that are kind of lukewarm. You know what I mean? And the state, if you think about it, let's just, for instance, take the United States. And we say that 80% of it is Christian. We are 80% lukewarm Christians, right? You know, the other, you know, you know, maybe a little piece of the pie is on fire. But imagine if we really were 80% on fire for the Lord, how turned upside down this nation would be. Like if we just flipped the script on this nation, what would it, dude, it would be nuts. People would want to come over here. Like it was when they, everybody immigrated over here for a dream, for a hope, for a fina, you know, financial stability. No, they would come over here for the real hope. They would come over here for the blessed hope if that 80% was on fire. So I believe, uh, and this is, take it for a grain of salt, this is just me speaking, you know, Mexican gibberish. I believe that the church has gone through a bunch of stages. And whether we're in the stage of Laodicea, let it be. Whether, you know, we're in the state of brotherly love, let it be. The thing is, Jesus had something against the churches. And the fact is that all these things, we don't want to be in those things. The things that, that when Jesus said, I would rather have you been hot or cold, but not lukewarm because I will spit you out. You know, Jesus would rather us be, uh, he would rather hit us be f on fire for him. 
right? Or he would rather just be completely rejecting him, but not on the fence. Somebody said, "Who the owner of the fence is Satan. Dude, why are we on the fence? You know, that's crucial. I never saw it that way. You know, and we see that Jesus would rather have us join to him than join to some, join to Satan, join to ourselves. So the thing is, is that it, it, take it for what it's worth. But, you know, do your study. Be a Berean. You know, find out what view suits you, but make it biblical. You know, don't let it, you know, don't go on some trip and then move out and live in the woods and sell everything just because one verse, you know, you you magnified one verse over another. So now we see John and and we see him explaining the wardrobe of the Messiah. And we see that he has a long garment down to his feet and he's girded above his chest with a golden band. The priest, just to take note, is the priest when he used to go in, he used to have these little threads, little golden threads around, girded, he was girded with little gold threads. Jesus has a golden band. It's made out of gold. It's not just like, you know, a little, you know, ribbon, a little gold ribbon. No, it's a golden band. Secondly, his head and his hair are white as wool and white as snow, representing wisdom. There's wisdom. Whenever, dude, I had a manager, his name was Glenn, and, you know, he, you know, whenever he said, I was, I used to be like, Glenn, give them gray hairs. He's like, that's wisdom, brother. You know, he's a black man. He's like, that's wisdom. And I'm like, yep. So every time, like, I have a lot of gray hair. And my stylist, Kim, she... She unloads, uh, she doubles up on the hair coloring. She does it because she does it for free. And I'm like, all right, do whatever. She experiments on me, right? But the thing is, is like, she, she's like, dang, you have a lot of hair. And I was like, yeah, but where's the wisdom? I ain't got no wisdom, you know? But Jesus here has white hair, white as wool, white as snow, and it represents timeless wisdom, right? His eyes were like a flame of fire, representing judgment through the scriptures fire always represented judgment in the in the old testament and it's a good thing we are going to be judged right we're going to be judged to what we've been entrusted right where it's not like just because we're christians we just get to slip right in you know we still have the bema seat you know and the world the people that don't believe in jesus will have the white throne seat which we'll get into later Right, but we are going to be judged on the bema seat, and that's the seat of grace, and we're going to be under His grace, and He's going to He's going to judge us still, but it's going to be under grace, and it's going to be to what He's entrusted to us. Now His feet, like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace. Fire. Uh, um, one of the commentators is a really good little statement. He says, since fire is connected with judgment. These feet, like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace, speak of someone who has been through the fires of judgment and has come forth with a refined purity. Jesus has been through the refiner's fire. Imagine, God just, you think about it, uh, we always see as God the Father, and we see Him as God the Son. And, I'm not a dad yet, but I know that I'm going to be dressing up my kids. And I know that they're going to 
they're going to be the best looking kids because I went to fashion school. Right? They're going to have the chucks. They're going to have, they're not going to have skinny jeans because I just, I have a beef on skinny jeans. So I'm sorry. Anybody, you know, none of us here, thank, thank you, Lord. But, you know, I see the Lord giving, entrusting this stuff to Jesus. You know, entrusting judgment. Entrusting the sword that's coming out of his mouth. And trusting him with this long garment and this golden band. He's giving. I see the father dressing up his son for what he was meant to be. Because Jesus wasn't meant to be a human. He came down here as a human to save us. To show us how to live. But imagine he had to step out of eternity and step into humanity. That he may fulfill the will of the father. He didn't. He didn't want to do it, but he had to do it because a father wanted to be joined. In the end, he wanted the marriage to take place. So we see here these these feet of brass and how they had to go through it. Jesus earned these brass shoes. He went through it. In the garden, he was sweating blood. Literal drops of blood. He was hung on the cross. He, there's no one in this world that can say that the, he didn't earn these, the, the, this, this picture of refining through fire. He went through it. Now we get into this, his hand. In his hand was the seven stars. And... These, as we'll read in a second, actually, let's go into it. It says, um, verse 17, no, 16. He had in his right hand, as had seven stars. Out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying to me, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys to Hades and of death. Write the things which you have seen and the things which are and the things which will take place after this. The mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands. These seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands which you saw are the seven churches. So we see that in his hand he holds the angel uh, in his hand were the stars right and uh, the seven star the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches it represents to to me it represents his authority over the pastors over the overseers of the church of the church age whichever church we're, church age we're in he represents his authority over them he has them in his hand we know that jesus created the earth, right? And we, we always sung that song, you know, Jesus has a whole world in his hands, you know. And the thing is, he has his church in his hands. Why? Because he needs to protect it. Why? Because it's his bride. Why? Because he wants it to be pure and holy before him. He wants it to be pure and ready for that day, right? That is a picture of him having authority in his hand 
ready to do whatsoever he will, whether another another day of Pentecost shall come, whether a, a fresh outpouring of his spirit shall come, he will do whatever he wants with his church because it's his coming bride. So we see that he has authority over it. And out of his mouth was a double-edged sword. This is the gospel. It pierces through bone and marrow. It goes to the depths where where Dr. Phil can't get, where philosophy can't get, where just man's the, uh, man's ways can't get, where medications can't get, where Xanax and you have Vicodin and all this other stuff, these meds that are that are just pretty much numbing our kids, where they can't get this double-edged sword pierces through that and gets to that point and brings them hope. You know, like it, it was funny that we, we, we talk about hope. We talk about our nation wanting hope and wanting change. Dude, what bigger change can they get than being transformed in the spirit by Jesus Christ? What bigger hope can they have by just being a part, looking unto the blessed hope when Jesus comes back for them? What more do they want? We look for change, we look for hope, but we're looking to it from a man's perspective. We're not looking for we're not looking for it through the Bible where it where it is at, where the essence, the fullness, the thickness of hope and change is at. Jesus Jesus came to live and die for us, to to die for uh, on our behalf that we may be changed and transformed by the Spirit and that we may look forward to that blessed hope. You know, his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. Just think about that. His face shone like the sun. We can't grasp that. We would be blinded. We would seriously we would be blinded, we'd melt. You know? It it's inexplicable. And the thing is is that he He's there, and he tells us to not be afraid. Why? Because he's our daddy. He's our Abba Father. And he's painting this picture of who he is so that we know. When we hear his voice, we know that it's him. When we hear his voice, what does it say that his voice is like? The sound of many waters. Imagine when him, Jesus, and the Spirit were creating this earth. And he spoke it, and it was so. Imagine what it sounded like. He spoke it into existence. Just stuff that's beyond us. And so he also speaks to us the words of reconciliation. You know, we, we see that before that in, um, in verse 6, he's made us kings and priests. To his God and Father. Jesus has made us kings and priests. He's made us royalty. He's given us like Aslan. You know. He goes and he knights. Every one of the kids. These, Aslan was a king. Of Narnia. Right? Sorry. But I love this movie. You know. And he goes. And he. Like he gives them titles. You know, I don't know. I don't remember. I haven't. I've only seen it five times. But he says Edward the so and so, and he says you know Lucy the brave or something like that. And he just goes on to each one of them, and then he goes off into the you know he goes off and does his own thing. You know, 
dude, he's made us priests and kings. We are his royalty, and he's over us, right? Do you understand the gifts that he's given to us? That we may be pure and holy, and that we may represent his church, and that we may represent the fullness of who he is to the people that are dying, to a lost and dying world. You know, we, there's a quote, it says here, What do you see in, in Christ's right hand? Seven stars. Yet how significant they appear when you, when you get a sight of his face. They are stars, and these are seven of them. But who can see seven stars, or for what matter of that, 70,000 stars? When the sun shineth in his strength, how sweet it is when the Lord himself is so present in a congregation that the preacher, whoever he may be, is altogether forgotten. I pray you, dear friends, when you've got a place of worship, always try to see the Lord's face rather than the stars in his hand. Look at the sun and you will forget the stars. Dude. This is what it's all about. It's not about who's up on the pulpit. It's not about the worship team. It's not about what we do at work. It's about Jesus Christ and him crucified. And that's where we start the book of Revelation. We just went from he resurrected to he's on the throne and to this is what he looks like. Now comes the unveiling of what he's going to do. We already know what he looks like. He's our husband. He's our Lord. He's our savior. Our savior. And he's coming back for us. And the thing is, we must be ready. We must occupy. We must partake. We must act. We must respond. Not only believing, but taking it to the next level. And there's a few of us. There's a few of us. But the Lord loves a few faithful. And that's what he's looking for. His church isn't going to be this huge church. You know? It's not going to be a gang of people filling stadiums and stadiums. It's just going to be the few that are faithful. It's going to be those who have ran the race. And we would love for it to be a lot of people. And that's what our goal is. is to go and like those four guys that brought the paralytic to Jesus, finding a way to get these people, these lost and dying souls, to their Savior and putting their hand in his hand and watching them become the change and seeing the hope that there is in Jesus Christ. So with that said, let's pray. Lord, we just thank you so much for your word, God. We thank you that it's everlasting. We thank you that it's faithful. We thank you that it's it doesn't perish. It doesn't burn. It goes through the fire and it comes out refined. It comes out pure and holy just as you are. For you said you are that word, Lord. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And Lord, we want to see you, the word, come alive in our hearts. We want to see you just do radical change in our lives, Lord that we may bring you the, the worship, that we may give you the adoration, that we may bring you the praise that you are worth, Lord. Father, we pray that you would just pour your Holy Spirit afresh upon all of us here tonight, Lord, and just prepare our hearts, Lord. Get us excited for the things that are to come, the things that we will read about, the things that, are, that, that you have spoken, and the things that were written by John. Lord, we love you, God, and we just pray that you would give us a hunger for your word. Just get us home safe. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.